0: Now, I don't know about every single person here this morning, but I like to think that all of us have some type of imagination. Maybe some of you have a very overactive imagination, and some of you are a bit more conservative, maybe a bit more sensible in where your imagination takes you. But I want you this morning, especially for the young ones who are here, as I especially think of you, uh, but for all of us here as adults as well, to use your imagination just for a few minutes. And I want you to think about a man. Um, Let's give this man a name. By the way, this is not in my notes, so I don't know whether giving this man a name is the right thing, but I'm going to call him Mr. Bread, uh, and hopefully that will make sense in a short while. Let's imagine this man, and he lived for just under 2,000 years. So we're talking about a pretty old man. I'm I'm not quite there at 2,000. I feel like sometimes I'm nearly there, but this man was just under 2,000 years old. Now, this man, he could speak Three languages. So, I mean, that's impressive. I mean, people speak more languages. I think it was William Tyndale, when he was only a child, could speak, you know, four or five languages. Quite an amazing thing. But this man, who lived for just under 2,000 years, could speak three languages. Yet, think about this. Everything he said, everything he said was translated into hundreds of different languages. I mean, that's quite an amazing person already in some respects. Now imagine this man, this, this individual, Mr. Brett, he's just under 2,000 years. He speaks a few languages, and yet everything he says has been translated into hundreds and hundreds of other languages. And his life story, his life story, has been written by other people. Now these people did all sorts of different jobs. I don't know what the children want to be when they're older. Um, I think like a lot of boys, I was an aspiring footballer when I was young until I realized I couldn't score a goal or save a shot, and so I had to really change course very quickly in my ambitions. Um, I had a strange notion of wanting to be a journalist for about half a year when I was about nine. I have no idea why, and I'm so glad that thought quickly vanished by. But these people who wrote about this man, Mr. Bread, they had all sorts of different jobs. Some of them were kings. And uh, some of them were farmers, some of them were soldiers, some of them were doctors, and some of them were even fishermen. And when they were writing about this man, Mr. Bread, they were writing about him in all sorts of different environments. So some of them were living in tents, and some of them were sitting on thrones in palaces, and others were in prison, and some of them just simply walked in deserts for years on end. In fact, these people who wrote about this man, Mr. Brett, they even lived years and years, hundreds of years apart, and yet everything they said all matched. They were all saying the same thing about this individual. And then think about this really old man that lots of people had written many things about and how many terrible things were done to him. Uh, Many bad things. He was thrown into the sea, but he never drowned And you know, he was thrown into the fire, and he was never burned. Instead, he grew stronger and stronger. People came along, and they said, you know what, Mr. Bread, we don't like what you say, and we don't like what you look like, and we want to change you. But even though they tried really hard to change him, he couldn't be changed. He always stayed the same. And then others came along, and they didn't like him, and they said, you know what, Mr. Bread, you don't even exist. You're just a fairy tale. We don't believe anything you say. But all those people disappeared and Mr. Bread stayed exactly where he was and changed the lives of many, many people. And then others tried to hide him from everyone else. But you know, especially for the boys and girls here, but for all of us, there were others, many others, and they loved him. And they treasured him. And they wanted him. So much so they would give their own lives for him. Now, boys and girls, if you don't know who I'm speaking about, and all the hints have been here along in our readings, in our hymns, and even in the things which you've done this morning, which is wonderful to see, if we don't know who this person is, now let me remind you, you most likely have many of them in your homes. I hope you have one in your bedroom. We certainly should have them here in our church of course, I think we all know what we're speaking about here, and if you don't, I'm going to leave because the hints are, are quite overwhelming. We're dealing with the Bible. We're, we're, everything I've said is, is what is true of the Word of God, the Bible, God's holy book. And you know, young people, for this morning and for all of us who are here, I very simply want to talk to you about God's book as the best book. God's book is the best book. And I'll try to break out into the Flintstones tune halfway through uh, saying those words. Uh, this morning, there's a few things I want you to think about. First of all, God's book tells us about Himself. God's book, the Bible, tells us about Himself. Now, we've read here from 2 Timothy. Uh, normally, I would stay with a passage when I preach. What we're going to do uh, this morning, just for the time that we have, is just flick to different verses here and there. And I hope that you can maybe do that and follow along as well. So I read from Timothy. Now, I hope I'm not going to put you on the spot because, boys and girls and young people, you've done so well this morning. So I won't ask you the questions. But we should know who has written 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy. It was the mighty apostle Paul. Uh, a man that so many of us love and and treasure and we think of all the letters that we have. Do you know the Apostle Paul didn't have any children himself? But when he looked upon Timothy, he looked at Timothy as his own son. You know, he was a a son in the faith. And when you read uh, the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, you see that now and then, the way Paul's affection and his love to Timothy was always there. And when he was writing to Timothy and he referred to him as a youth, I think actually Timothy would have been in his 30s, so there's a lot of hope for us there in terms of how we define youth in our age, uh, in his 30s, and he said to Timothy on one occasion, 1 Timothy 4.12, he says, let no man despise thy youth. What a word for every young person and for all of us here. Let our youth not be despised, so what do we do with our youth? Paul says, be an example. Be an example to the believer. And then Paul had happy memories of the family of Timothy. And he could think of his mother and his grandmother. And what was really made Paul's heart glad is that he was happiest of all to know that Timothy was saved. He, he, he was not just a man that was, you know, faithful and good and kind and nice to his parents and his mom and grandmother. But the most important thing about Timothy as a, as, as, as a child... He says, Timothy, from a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures and and they're able to make you wise unto salvation. So many things that Paul would write to Timothy. And he says, Timothy, from that very start of your life, when you were five or six or whatever age you were, you had this great privilege. You had the word of God, you knew the scriptures, and they were able to make you wise unto salvation. Now, I'm going to say something to you that we should all know already, but I hope it just reinforces what I say, especially to the adults who are here. We have an even greater privilege than Timothy. Do you know why? Because when Paul was saying that you've known the scriptures, he was referring to the Old Testament scriptures, wasn't he? But we have the New Testament scriptures and the Old Testament We've got the full revelation of God's holy truth. What a privilege it is. And you know, we have the greatest honor that any person could ever have to hold and read and learn the word of God. So we're thinking about why it's the best book. It tells us about God. We'll get to that very shortly. But here's three interesting facts about the Bible. I think there are loads, by the way, but I'm just going to give you some so that you're not here later on this evening with the same message. Number one, maybe you know this already, the Bible is the best-selling book in history. The best-selling book in history. Number two, the world's smallest Old Testament can fit onto the tip of a pen. Isn't that amazing? It's called the Nano Bible. Um, I don't have one because I would lose it. I lose big things, losing these small things. The Nano Bible is a tiny disk. It has 1.2 million characters etched upon that disk. That's amazing what can be done these days in terms of technology and these things. And then here's another amazing fact about the Bible, and really a more important one. Its influence is worldwide. Okay? It goes outside of New Argos, it goes outside of Northern Ireland, it goes outside of of the rest of the UK and Europe and and the world. It goes throughout the world. Do you know the influence of the Bible is this? Its influence has inspired writers. It has inspired musicians. The Bible has influenced our languages and our laws. And do you know, young people, the, the Bible has done more for our society And for our freedom than anything else in the history of this world. That's just three facts, there are many of them, but you know there's an even better fact about the Bible, and it's the most important one. It tells us about God, it tells us about who God is. Can you you think of anything more important than that? You know, what do we know? How do we know? That's a song that maybe you sing. How do we know what God is like? Read it in the Bible. It's the word of God that tells us about himself. I was thinking about this again. I don't often like to stray from my notes. Sometimes it isn't safe or, or wise. But when I was driving up, uh, the higher car that I have this time around um, is one that comes from myself. south. Um, it's also very small, uh, which as you can tell, when you're trying to get someone of my size into it, it's a bit of a, you know, it's a gymnastic feat in its own right. And as I, as I sat into the car, and began to drive down the road, I looked up and thought, I'm going 110 miles an hour here. And I realized, well, it wasn't miles per hour, it was kilometers. And I had to recall all of my, my experience in, in Australia many years ago when they have the same uh, conversion. Uh, and uh, thankfully, they have the signs on the road, but I, I don't have that here. So so far in the car, I've been trying to do all the conversion in my head. You know, what is 30, what is 50, what is 70? And some might say, well, you just follow the same speed as someone else. But what if they're breaking the law? Uh, Well, follow that person's speed. But what if they're going too slow? How do you know how fast you're to go if you don't know what's in front of you? Now, that's the same when it comes to God. And even more importantly, how do we know what God is like? He tells us what he's like. And people, the Bible is so important because it's God's revelation about himself, isn't it? About who he is. It's God's special book. We read from Psalm 19. In Psalm 19, it's a, a chapter we, 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 sh- we should love with all of our hearts. It, it tells us there's another book, and it tells us about the existence of God, and that's called creation. And so young people and boys and girls, when you, when you go outside and you see all of, of the finger work of God, what that does, it makes, makes, makes it impossible for someone to say, you know what, there's no God there's no excuse the, the creation speaks about the glory of God himself and, and, and that's why we, we love the creation because it points to him, his glory, his majesty but the Bible is God's special book in Psalm 19 it goes on to speak about the law it's pure young people it converts to soul now how do you have a soul converted? well you have to know what God is like don't we? How do we know what he's like, what he loves, what he hates? It tells us about his holiness. It tells us about his heart of love. It tells us things about God, even many of them, that though they are so true and so right, the more you think about them, the more you go, wow, how great is the God that we adore. You try to stare at the sun when sometimes it's there in the sky. And, and you, you can't look, can you? Very long, and we don't really recommend that you do stare at the sun. And yet how many millions of miles are we? So much so that if our Earth is just a little bit closer, we can't live on this Earth. And that's just one star, one small star that God has made, and we can't even bear to look at it with our eyes. Listen, we have the Bible in our hands, and it shows us God. It, it tells us His, his holiness. How pure he is. It tells us all of these things about him. So I I say to to the the boys and girls especially, but of course this message is for, for, for everyone here this morning and for my heart as well. That when we pick up the Bible and we read it, I want you to do something. I want you to start and to say to God, Lord, tell me more about you. As as I read the word of God, let me not make up things in my own mind and think, well, I think God should be like this. I mean, that's what the world does, isn't it? Well, I want God to be like this. No, God says, here is my mirror. Here is my reflection. Here is who I am. And so we read the word to know who he is. I think can I speak to, to family, especially to the parents who are here this morning as well, and, and to encourage you and to exhort you, if you do not do this already, I trust that many of you do, but if you do not, make the word of God the book in your home. That's not to say that there shouldn't be other books, there should be. But let this be the book. Do you remember what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 and 7? What is it that the Israelites were told all those years ago? Well, listen to the word of God. These words which I command thee this day. So God said, My word is not optional. It's a command that comes from my heart and from my mouth. And God said, These shall be in thine heart. It can be in our minds, and it's so good to hear you recite it, it really is. And it can be in our memories. Oh, let it be in our hearts. Let it be the thing that we we pray over, and we read over, and we learn, and we love. And God said through his servant Moses back then, Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Let me say very carefully, remember the responsibility for teaching our children is first and foremost in our homes. We thank God for the Sunday schools, the children's meetings, and all the things that they do. And the youth meetings. But it begins in our homes. It begins whether we have one child. Even if it's just our our husband and wife. or, Or just if we're on our own. It begins with us. Teach it, parents, diligently to your children. Let it be in your heart. So that it can be in their heart as well. Why? Because it tells us about God. What a wonderful book it is. It's the best book. It tells us about him. Secondly, it is the best book because it then tells us about ourselves. It tells us about ourselves and who we are. Another reason why the Bible is the best book is this. So first of all, if we want to just recap, the Bible is the best book because it tells us about God and there is none like him. And then, young people, it tells us about you and me. And I can say this confidently, there is no one quite like us in in terms of being unique as we shall see. Remember, we are uniquely made. We are uniquely made. Today, the the, the world's thinking is trying to force lots of Christians to, to question what God has always said. Well, I want to remind you that all of those views and thoughts, they come and they go, and thank God they do, The word of God just stays exactly where it is, teaching us about him and teaching us about ourselves. And and you know, many things will change. There's been lots of inventions, haven't haven't there? I mean, we've, we've got such an advancement in technology and engineering and all sorts of different avenues of life. But the reality is, as people, we just stay the same. Our nature, who we are and what God says is always true. So how are we unique? Well, we might be unique because people look different from one to the other. But that's not really what makes us unique. It might be interesting. It might be fascinating. As I've already mentioned, my my height tends to fascinate people because it's different. Okay, it's different. Um, When I first came to to Bible College, myself, Reverend Philip Gardner, uh, we went down to the south. And um, I I forget where it was now, actually, just some small village there. And I was standing outside waiting for some food, which tends to always be the, the habit of my lifetime. And uh, I, I was standing there, and this young boy came along, and he said, Mr... And I'm not going to do an accent, by the way, because it wouldn't work. Um, he, he said, Mr., you must be the second tallest person in the whole world. And I, and I looked at him, and I said, well, why not the first? He says, well, you can't be the first. Uh, that was his answer. You know. He says, you have to be the second. So I walked away just thinking I was the second tallest person. In, in the history of this earth, which I'm not, by the way, I've, I've checked afterwards. Um, but, but I guess that's what makes me unique, and you've got your own unique features as well. But that's not what it is. Not even our language. And I, and I think languages are fascinating, they, they really are. But that's not it. Young people and, and all of us who are here this morning, can I tell you what makes you unique? You're made in the image of God. Okay, You're made in the image of God. You might have heard your parents or teachers or those in the church say this before, and you wonder, well, what does that mean? I'm made in the image of God. Well, remember this. It's what the Bible says. Okay, Genesis uh, chapter 1 reminds us, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Now, do you remember the order of creation, boys and girls? Uh, do you remember what happens first and what happens last? Do you know how the grass is made and you've got the, the plants and you've got the trees and then you've got things like animals and, of course, you've had the sun and the moon and, and, and those heavenly bodies, but at no time did God say, you know what, I'll make all those things and my image is in those things. And then, of course, angels must have been made, but there's nowhere in the Bible where it says, look, I'll make the image of God in an angel. And then you've got the animals, and you've got, what is it, the rhinos, and the elephants, and the giraffes, and the kangaroos, and and you've got all of these things. and, and, And God doesn't say, I'll make my image in creatures like animals, but he makes man, and he breathes breath into man. Man becomes a living soul, and God says, he's made in my image. Now, how do you understand that? How do you get a big theological statement into a small lesson, especially for young people? Well, remember it this way. It doesn't mean that man is God. That's wrong. That's heresy. We reject that. Man is not God. But it does mean this. There is a reflection of God in us. Because God is not made of physical bodily parts, he's spirit. Remember that. He's spirit. Therefore, it's things, it as the Bible teaches, such as God is holy, Knowledge, righteousness. These things are reflected in us and in humans alone. And, and we are unique in how we are made because we can do things that animals cannot do. So when you're a young person, maybe you hear your parents or your adults and they talk about the weather a lot, don't they? You know, it's, it's things that we do. I, mean, I spoke about this morning. It's a habit. It's a nice day. It's raining. It's raining. It's windy. You know, we we, we just talk about the weather. It might seem really boring and really mundane is the word you could use. But you know what? Actually, it's it's amazing because have you ever seen a dog say to a dog, you know what, uh, Rover, it's a really sunny day? It doesn't happen, does it? Dogs don't talk to dogs. Cats don't talk to cats. Whatever animal we want to do, they don't reason with each other. They can't because they're not made this way. So, even when we talk about the very simple things in life and we reason and we think, we're made in God's image. Now, why is all of this so important? I'll tell you why. Because this image of God in us is the strongest reason why murder is so wrong in any form, in any way. It is an attack upon God. And we've got to remember that. We really do. And listen, it's what gives your life meaning. Lots of young people today, without Christ and without Christian homes, and it's escalating everywhere, they're at a loss, aren't they? Depression is rising amongst young people. Children are wayward. Homes are broken. And lives are ruined. And everyone is is sort of scrabbling around in the darkness. What do we do? How do we teach our children? How do we rescue them from where they are? The reality is we've lost this message. Man is made in the image of God. What gives me purpose and meaning is that I am made for God. I'm made for him. You are uniquely made. But we can't stop there. It teaches us about ourselves that we are universally guilty. We are universally guilty. Children, I'm sure you know what maybe a biography is, okay? Or an autobiography. Maybe see your parents or others read me things. So, stories about people's lives, or even stories that people write about their own lives. They're, they are fascinating, by the way, and you should read good ones, especially ones about Christians who, who serve the Lord. But you know, especially those who are not saved, sometimes they can write these stories about themselves and they aren't exactly truthful. <laughs> they're, they're hiding a lot of facts and details. There aren't too many people that want to lay it out for the whole world to know every terrible thing they've thought and done. Do you know the Bible, young people, and all of us here this morning, is the most honest book in the world. It tells us everything about everyone. It tells the true story about ourselves and the problem of sin. And you've got heroes of the faith, don't you? And you can maybe list some. And yet God says, you know what, they did mighty things for me, but they also did terrible things. And we go, why? Why 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 David? Why Peter? Why Abraham? Why Sarah? Why why do all these things? And God is saying, because they've sinned, they're fallen, and they need they need salvation, or well, they have been saved, and it just reminds them that they're creatures of the dust. And all of this points back to the greatest problem of all. What what is the greatest catastrophe which has ever happened? Has it been a war? Has it been a tsunami? Has it been a volcanic explosion? Has it been a pandemic? Terrible things have happened. The worst of all is the first act of rebellion. And the Bible says we can trace all of our problems to this. So it doesn't matter where you're from or what you look like, or what language you speak. It it doesn't matter what your culture is. Here is the problem. We have sinned against a holy God. In Adam, the Bible says we all die because he is the head of all people. Maybe you've, you've heard the words of Isaiah 1 and verse 6. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness. There are wounds. There are bruises. There are putrefying sores. Can you imagine someone walking into church like that? They're staggering, and they've got their head bleeding, and they've got their skin flapping off, and they've got a broken arm and a broken leg, and they've got boils and sores and broken. The poor person, get an ambulance. Get a cup of tea or something that always seems to solve the problems in life. What would you do? And yet all around us, people are walking like this, because it's the condition of the heart. It's how we are before God. We will never be saved, young people. We will never know what it is to be with, at peace with God unless you realize, oh Lord, I've sinned against you and I need to be forgiven. You see, the Bible is the most honest book because it tells us the real problem. We've sinned and we need to be saved. Now lastly, God's book is the best book and I'll be very quick here because it tells us about Jesus Christ. And while I don't want to be quick when I say that, Um, Do more reading on this, more thinking in the course of the Lord's Day. God's book tells us about Jesus Christ. Do you know there was one occasion in John's Gospel when the Lord Jesus was preaching to people and there were lots of unbelieving Jews that were hearing him. What did Jesus say to these men and these women? He said to them in John 5, 39, he said, Search the Scriptures. In other words, search the Bible And then he went on to say this, for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. Here's what he means is this. Okay, you've got the Bible. You've got the word of God. You can read it. You know it. These men, these individuals, they memorize great chunks of the Bible. And he says, you've read the Torah. You've read the law. You've read the Old Testament scriptures. You, You have all these things, but you don't know me. What a terrible thing. The point being is that he's the key, isn't he? The, the, the word of God brings us to Jesus Christ. How, how does it do this? It, it does it gradually. Um, do any of you do jigsaw puzzles anymore? Okay, you can put your hand up if you want to or not, but it's up to you, but jigsaw puzzles. I can manage boys and girls, a hundred-piece one, and I can do the edges, then I give the middle part to my kids. Um, because, you know... The edges are easy, you know, you've just got smooth parts that you have to, to work out. It's that middle bit that gets me. One time my wife had this notion of doing like a 5,000-piece jigsaw puzzle. And I was going, what are you doing? You know, this is too much. You know, I couldn't, couldn't get my hair around these things. But, you know, when, you, when you've got a jigsaw puzzle, you don't just go, and, and it's, it's ready to go. That would be amazing. It's one piece at a time, isn't it? One piece at a time, and the picture gets bigger and bigger and more clearer and clearer. That's the Bible, boys and girls, and everyone here. The Bible reveals Jesus Christ to you gradually. You quote the books of the Bible. God gives them for a reason. And and there you have pictures and types and promises right there from Genesis. And it builds and it builds and it builds. And then we have this great picture. Here he is. Here he is. The saviour. That's why you should read your Bible from beginning to end. I can tell you a story about a lady I heard about recently. Uh, she she's from Wales, and um, she had a Christian father. Uh, he died a number of years ago. Uh, recently, she picked, she picked up the Bible. Uh, I think it was his Bible, and she picked it up and just began to read it. She she wasn't going to church. She, she wasn't receiving any teaching from someone else. She just began to read. She read the first five books of the Bible. And just by reading the word of God, God spoke to her. It convicted her of her sin. And then she read on and she was saved. What an amazing story. The word of God reveals Jesus Christ to us gradually. He gives us his promises and they never fail. So young people and children and parents and everyone who is here this morning... Because the word of God has never failed and will never fail, we can trust it with all of our heart, can't we? It is light and it is life. And then Jesus is revealed to us redemptively. Again, a bigger word, boys and girls, when you think of redemption, you're just simply meaning of a buying back, a releasing or a loosing. In other words, we're in this problem of sin. It's like we're in prison. We need to be freed need to be rescued there is a price and that price is the law of God it has to be satisfied Jesus Christ when he lived and he died he did everything to buy you back and to save you from your sin the Lord Jesus Christ is not revealed in the Bible simply as a do-gooder although he did do good and not simply as a teacher although he did teach but he's 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 set forth in the bible as savior and redeemer and lord and king if i could give you one key that would unlock the bible for you i would give you jesus christ I, it may seem strange but i'll say it as i finish without the lord jesus the bible makes no sense it's a book with no meaning he is the key he says i am the way the truth and the life God's book is the best book. May the Lord bless these words and these thoughts to our hearts here this morning. Amen.